We've taken our text from Exodus chapter 14 and uh, God's deliverance of the Hebrews through the Red Sea. Of course, a miracle of God's grace. He who created all things didn't have any problem at all uh, parting the Red Sea. And, uh, but we have so many lessons in this chapter, in Exodus chapter 14. Israel was put into an incredibly difficult situation. To all appearance, everything looked hopeless to them. And uh, not only so, they couldn't do anything to help themselves get out of it. So they would have been absolutely helpless as well as hopeless in this situation. Uh, Pharaoh was right when we read in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 3, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. There was a wall built on one side of them. There was a wall to protect Egypt from Asia. The wilderness on the other side of them and the Red Sea before them Pharaoh's army right behind them. That's a pretty desperate situation. They weren't trained to fight. They didn't have a trained army. They were a ragtag group of people, women, children, as well as men. And the army pursuing them was an efficiently trained army. They couldn't fight. They could not fight the Egyptian army. They were completely enclosed by insurmountable barriers on every side. They couldn't flee. They couldn't fight. They couldn't flee. They couldn't run and get out of the situation. Pretty desperate situation, wasn't it? But this Red Sea experience that we shall consider was not simply given so that we would have a historical record of what happened when God led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. It holds some very important lessons for us. And it holds some very important practical lessons for us. Who led them to the Red Sea? Who led them? We learn in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 18 who led them. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. God led them to the very place where they were, to the very place where they were hemmed in on every side to the very place where they could not fight or they could not flee. There are going to come times, if you and I know the Lord indeed, there are going to come times when God will lead his chosen and redeemed into situations that appear hopeless. When we cannot solve them. Situations which no amount of our own self-effort could resolve. Why? Why so? Simply so that we will learn to look only to God. And to learn who He is. And to learn to trust Him. And to come to realize he keeps everything he promises to us. Every means for us to obey, God grants and gives unto us. God will put our faith to the test. And when he puts our faith to the test, it's not to destroy it. It's to strengthen it. It's to remove from us every other place we can trust. 
reading the Psalms. You read about the warfare of David, right? You read about situations where he seemed to be completely surrounded. And what does he do? My soul wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Every place we can trust other than in our God. When God removes those places and brings us to trust him alone, that's not a bad thing. That's a tremendously good thing. But it's not easy, this test and trial of faith. But we learn something very clearly in Scripture. The way of obedience is the way of provision. The way of obedience is the way of protection. And the only true obedience is born out of faith. Yeah, there were those among the Hebrews who believed. Moses believed. These believed, at least in a temporary sense. But they become a type, a picture for us as well. So that you have, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29, through faith they passed over or through the Red Sea. The Egyptians attempting to do so, drowning there. Just by faith. God leads us to obey him, but we will not obey him without faith, without a genuine trust in him, to continue walking with him, obeying with him, no matter what appears and comes in our course. As with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And as God illuminates us to his word and to his will. Sometimes we learn as they did to stand still. We read when they were complaining, Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Then sometimes we learn to move forward. Go forward. We have both of these here, of course. Sometimes we learn to wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Sometimes we learn it's time to work. A lot of people are better at waiting than working. <laughs> but we are to serve the living and true God. We are to be his, his instruments in this world. But in everything, in everything whatsoever, we're learning and we must learn to obey by faith. To by faith obey him. That's not always an easy one, two, three formula, is it? We must face the truth and we must rest in it that we only learn by experience and exercised discernment. And much time spent in secret with our Lord and in his word. But as we indeed truly learn to trust our God in trial, discernment will come. Faith will be increased. Other blessings will come. We'll see some of them as we progress in the message. It's not in us to direct our path. Jeremiah prayed that. Not in man to direct his way. We have the simple instruction, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. He is to direct us. He directed Moses and the children of Israel. He put them where they were. And when God leads us in his way, we're to stay on it. We're to stay in that path. And as we do so, our knowledge of God's supreme will increases. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. As in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. What a trial. 
What a horrendous trial. The children of Israel, hemmed in, unable to fight, unable to defend themselves in the least, unable to get out of the situation, nowhere to run, hemmed in. But what are they going to learn? What are they going to learn in this? They're going to learn that God is God. Sound simple? They're going to learn that God is God. Supreme. Almighty. That His will shall be done. That no matter the difficulty of the situation, none will stop Him. None can stop Him. He is the living God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, faithful. They're going to learn that God is God. The only reason why, after hours of walking through the Red Sea, hours walking through with walls of water, when you look to the right hand, walls, when you look to the left hand, walls of water, you're on dry ground. The ocean has parted. After hours of walking that way and seeing those very same waters engulf and drown Pharaoh's army, the children of Israel indeed offered praise and thanksgiving to God for their deliverance. They would have been so easily defeated. Resubjugated to Pharaoh, but for one reason, one reason, none other. God is God. God is God. We learn in Hebrews that it's impossible to please him without faith. That God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Had they attempted to devise means to save themselves, they would have been swallowed up, literally, by either the Red Sea or the army of Pharaoh that was coming on their heels right behind them. We read in Exodus chapter 14 and verses 10 through 13. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were so afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses answers. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. The greatest exercise of soul and mind and heart. Listen to this, not the thunder. <laughs> the greatest exercise of soul and mind and heart is to learn who God is, to learn of Him, to learn of His character, to learn how He is made known in Scripture, to learn of His faithfulness, to learn of His truth, to learn of His justice, to learn of His grace. Spurgeon was right when he said the greatest mind expanding thing that can be done is to learn of God and to learn of his character. And then, experientially, through faith and obedience, to learn that he is true. 
to everything he promises in his word. We can teach about God. We can declare, as we should, his mighty acts, his glorious character. We can quote him. Remember, the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You can read his word. You should do so daily. And you can find there something of the knowledge of his will. And you can see what he can and will do. The word is to dwell in you richly, as in Colossians 3.16. The greatest exercise you can have in your thinking day by day is to take the word of God, read it, consider it, and think upon it, and pray that God would put it in your heart. But the only time, the only time that you truly evidence knowing God is when you walk in an overcoming faith, even in the midst of the greatest difficulties you face in your life. When everything else seems to be against you, and you have nothing, nothing that you can look at to see that's going to relieve you, you have only the Word of God to guide you. Only the Word of God to guide you. God uses that Word in bringing about our faith, doesn't He? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We're to learn to look to Him, trust Him, and to look to His Word alone to guide and be sure be sure it is the word of God not presumption be sure it's his word that you hear that you believe that you obey the faith which the people exhibited and trusting God to bring them safely through the Red Sea and they had to have faith to walk through that place with walls of water on their right hand and on their left hand for hours and the faith which they exhibited in trusting God to bring them safely through the Red Sea and defeat their enemies was founded upon two words go forward that was God's charge that was his word through Moses. Go forward. When the Egyptians, having no faith, without the word of God, tried to do the same thing, what happened? The same water, which was the means of salvation to the Israelites, was the means of the destruction of their enemies. The very same water. When do you experientially learn that God is? That God is the faithful God. That with Him is nothing impossible. That His will is supreme and shall be done. So often when you're brought to some Red Sea trial, you remember we began the service by considering that God didn't simply give the wondrous information about this historical event. It becomes very important in teaching us, applied by us, applied constantly in the Old Testament by the, by the children of Israel, by those who believed, applied by us as well. So... <clears throat> What about these Red Sea trials? Where the appearance seems to show that everything's shut up. 
Now hope. Hopeless. The path looks like it would swallow us up. And all of the paths are shut up to us. Can't go anywhere else. Can't find help from the world. Can't find help from the psychologist. Can't find help from the doctors. Can't help come somewhere in this world. No, there are times when we're going to have a red sea. None of those things are going to help. And do remember something. Was it the devil who led the people to the Red Sea? Was it the devil who did that to ensnare them? No. We read it in Exodus 13, verse 18. It's God who led them there. It's God who put them at the Red Sea. And it was God who placed the Egyptian army right behind the people. Three times we read in Exodus 14, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. His army was placed there. They came after the people. It was God's doing. God is an absolute sovereign. It is God who was doing that. It is God, the God who is, who does exactly what he will. The psalmist was right. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. In Psalm 115, verse 3. He moves all history. He moves all nature. He moves all events. And it's going to redound to one reality. His own glory. His own magnified honor. As Paul wrote of him. And through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. For his own. For his redeemed. For those who are called by his gospel. For those who are given faith in Christ and repentance from sin. For those who come then to love God in truth. For them, all things work together for good. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Paul says, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. How did the Apostle Paul know this? How could he write such a thing? Not only because he knew the Word of God and taught it, not only because he could quote it, but because he lived it. He lived it not in the midst of times of simple ease and prosperity. He lived it in the times of the greatest afflictions. He lived it in the times of the greatest pain and difficulty from this world. He lived it. He didn't write this because he was in a time when all difficulties were seemingly relaxed and he could rest from all the troubles in the world. No! Nor was it put in such a context. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen to it. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our flesh. We have the false apostles. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Surely they didn't care much about trouble. They wanted to get everything they could out of the Corinthians. But Paul says concerning himself that he's gone through all kinds of troubles, all kinds of difficulties. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I in shipwreck, night and a day in the deep. And journeys often in perils of waters and perils of water, robbers and perils by my own countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness beside those things which are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches and yet he writes we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Incredible, isn't it? And it sweetens the trial. It brings peace to the soul in the midst of the trial. To know that God is doing what he will and for your good but to lay hold of that requires a genuine faith in God a genuine trust in him God keeps us he keeps us through the trial that word through is very key there he keeps us through the trial, just as he led the people not over. He didn't say, hurry up, build a bridge. They didn't have an army corps of engineers. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to make a path and you go around it. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them through it. There's a promise God gives in His Word. There's a promise if we can by faith lay hold of it. There's a promise. It's found in Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. When you say, oh, i got so many difficult things happening. Oh, these things are driving me crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. We've got to figure out something to do. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. I love those promises, don't you? I love this. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen thine heart. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You say, oh preacher, I don't do that perfectly. Neither does your pastor. But when there are times when faith can arise out of the difficulties that are there, what a difference that makes. What a horrendous difference that makes. The only reason we're sustained through the trial doesn't mean God says, well, here, I'll just move it out of the way. No more, no more problem. He didn't say, cast thy burden upon him and he'll remove the problem. He said, cast thy burden upon him and he will keep you. He will sustain you. He will supply the grace you need. He will give you what is necessary to trust Him and obey Him and continue doing so even in the midst of the most difficult problems. Why? He's in it with you. When thou 
passest through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. What is the only reason that we're not swallowed up by our spiritual enemies? It's because like that pillar of fire that God placed between Israel and the Egyptians, God places himself between us and them. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word prayed the psalmist. And when we began considering some things from this passage, we said we learn sometimes to stand still. Sometimes to go forward. But there's another thing I find in this passage I think that's very applicable to us. There's another development, and that is we are to learn to stand still while we go forward. Oh, legitimate? Let's read in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. Notice, fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Then he says in verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Moses said to them, Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Jehovah says to Moses, Go forward. Go forward. Can we stand still as we go forward? Can we be still as we go forward? Can we sing, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Moses stands still. Doesn't seem to be contrasted with going forward. It's contrasted with fear not. Fear not. Go forward. And corresponds in verse 14 to hold your peace. Be still. See the salvation of the Lord. Hold your peace. All the same time, go forward. This is the inward peace that is to reside in our bosoms when we truly walk by faith and obedience. And when by genuine faith we move forward in the path of obedience, even in the midst of trial, no matter how difficult. Because the path of obedience also puts us into the path of trial. Moses was to obey God, lead the people. They were to go to the Red Sea. It was God's doing. That put them in the greatest trial they'd ever been in. It's like that word which Paul gave for the comfort and the quietness of our souls through the sufferings of this present time. He'd spoken in Romans 8 of the sufferings of this present time. And then he goes on to 
to say who shall later on in the chapter who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what did he say earlier? Just a little bit earlier. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Lots of lessons at the Red Sea. Well, let's consider three of them. That way I'm going to prove my wife wrong that I'm not going to be here till next week because we read 31 verses. The lessons of the Red Sea. Very simply, we can draw... God's purpose can't fail. The purpose of God cannot fail. It's impossible for God's purpose not to be brought to pass. It can't fail. You can learn of the promises given you. And the promises come out of God's purpose. And the promises are based upon His own character. His faithfulness. That's why David, oh, in his worship, in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple, and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. David knew God would keep his word. No matter what, God would keep his word. No matter the enemies that surrounded him, God would keep his word. No matter the trials he faced, God would be faithful to what he said. If you and I believe that, we have access to a peace that passes understanding indeed. And by faith we lay hold upon his word. To walk... By faith, we must learn of the God who gave the promises, not just the promises, but God who gave them. Do you remember? God is God. The whole of our course, in some sense, may be likened to the Red Sea. And just as God brought the people through and destroyed their enemies. So it is that God who must keep us all the way to glory. And see, these, these, of course, these would become disobedient. And the generation following would enter into to Canaan. Going through, of course, the Jordan. But we have, uh, we have promise there too. Sometimes we have hymns that speak of crossing the Jordan. <laughs> crossing the Jordan into the promised land or into Canaan. That land is a picture, a type of our eternal home. We have an inheritance. God gives us who are in Christ an inheritance. Not in this world. Not permanently in this place. We're not going to be here permanently. We're going to go over the Jordan or... Christ is going to come, correct? 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance 
incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Whatever we may acquire in this world, it's not going to be permanent. But God gives us an eternal inheritance. The poorest of his people, if they comprehend this, have riches greater than the richest people on the face of the earth. An inheritance. We can't even begin to comprehend what it will be like to be in the presence of our Lord and inherit with him. Heaven is our home. Christ is our Lord and also our elder brother and also our husband. <laughs> He's our all in all. Why the Apostle Paul? Why is it the Apostle Paul? We spoke of some of the things he suffered. You know what he called them? Light afflictions. Light afflictions. I, I can stump my toe. And the people in the next house can hear me. Light afflictions. He called everything he suffered in this world. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, your problem, my problem, is our attention is too much on this world. Too much on everything happening in the moment. This moment is going to pass. God is doing something that spans eternity in us. Right? If we could comprehend that and have our hearts and minds on things that are eternal, what a difference that would make for us. But we never forget that the way God keeps us is by working in us. Faith comes from Him. And working in us obedience and holiness. Giving us grace to move forward. To like Paul, forget the things which are behind, reach forth under the things which are before. And the same means through which God saves us, finally delivers us. And all at the same time, like what happened at the Red Sea, the enemies of God's people will be destroyed. Is that so? Yeah, when Christ comes. Remember what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians? To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. God is God. He does what he says. His purpose will be fulfilled. He is faithful to his own word without any variation. And then, second thing, second lesson. If God calls you, separates you out of this world unto himself, and calls you to a life of separation unto him and separate from the world in its ungodly ways, the world's not going to love you. The world will hate you. You'll be despised. It will despise you for separating from it in obedience to God. It'll call you every name under the sun. 
the source of some of our trials simply come from the felt enmity of the world against us. But the peace of God, the peace of God will keep your soul if in all of your oppositions you walk in the path of faith and obedience and fear not man, but fear God. Thirdly, third lesson. God will never put you through a trial unless he's with you in it. That's a pretty good one for the third one, isn't it? He will never put you through a trial that he's not with you in it. When through the deep waters, I call thee to go. The rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. It's this knowledge, it's faith in this God that in the midst of the greatest of difficulties and situations that we're put into for the trial of faith in this world, when we trust God, we can be still. While we go forward, we can be still. In the midst of outward trouble, we can be still. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. And God says in that same psalm, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. What number is that? 549? Determined to seek God's face until He increases your faith, your knowledge of Him, and peace in the midst of trouble. 579. Let nothing shake 
still know his voice to rule them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is dark in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, so Kenneth, please dismiss us in prayer.